Please open your Bibles then to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and pull out sermon notes. Those of you who are visiting know that we have sermon notes in the bulletin. As we come to this text, we come to verses 13 and 14, and we're going to come to five commands that the Apostle Paul is giving the church. And they're given in a very uh, poignant, right-to-the-point format, a military format, if you will. And my question as we get started is to challenge yourself and say to yourself, am I practicing these? All right, look at verse 13. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you, be, let all that you do be done in love. Now listen, here's five commands at the end of a very long book. 1 Corinthians doesn't have one chapter, two chapters, three chapters, four. It has 16 chapters. And you're reading this book, and you start in chapter one, and you're turning the pages, and you're going over and over and over, and all of a sudden, you come to the 16th chapter. You're tired. You've been reading this all, like, maybe in one setting. And then you come to verse 13, and it says, Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you, be, you do be done in love. And you have... You have been just hoping, I want to get done with this book. And, 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 and there's these five commands. There's five military commands. And I'm asking you, are you practicing these? Or did you just read over these and try to just get to the end of the book? I'm hoping that you're going to incorporate these into your life. I'm hoping that you're going to work into your daily prayer life your daily approach to life. And this has been a blessing for me to go through this, to be forced to work through, as we work, work word by word, verse by verse, to work through these texts so that I would be aware of their importance. And I'm hoping that I can convey that to you as well. Listen, if you want to grow as a Christian, if you want to be someone that grows in your faith, in your walk, I'm going to tell you, do these five commands. And you're going to find yourself ready for what you are going to be facing in your spiritual battles. And you see, these are commands for readiness. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But I'm hoping that as you do these, you'll find yourself blessed. You'll find yourself more spiritually aware, more spiritually in tune. And that you'll find... By not rushing over these and going through them, you will be able to handle the things that come at you in life. Again, there's a military overtone. So let me read verses 13 and 14 again. It says, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. And if you were to say, what are these all about? There's the sense of readiness. Readiness, specifically military readiness. Readiness means that you are capable and, and prepared for whatever comes upon you. That you're ready in case something happens that should be a surprise to most people, but you're prepared, you're ready for it. I believe these five commands will bless you and help you grow. An earnest Christian who wants to grow will be more like Jesus and will have these practices put into place in their life. Listen, spiritual growth is not some big, deep spiritual secret. 
It is not something that is so complicated. It's like you're going to get zapped and you're going to get this feeling, oh, I'm growing. You just simply follow these commands and you'll find yourself more spiritually alert. The Apostle Paul talks about spiritual growth and spiritual wisdom not being some deep mystical thing like in Romans 10 when he talks about the gospel, like having to, who's going to go to heaven? Who's going to go into the deep of the sea where we can find spiritual wisdom? And the idea is that it's right here. It's in the word of God. And so what this does challenge you is because these are commands. These are things that you need to follow. These are things you need to do. These are instructions. And it takes effort. And I'm telling you that these two verses will stretch you and they will change you. And like I believe it is a blessing to implement these into your life. Now, I said in dealing with this, this is a military uh, text in the sense of these are military expressions. Look, verse 13, be on the alert, military term. Stand firm, military term. Act like men, military term. Be strong, military concept. And the only one that doesn't have it is love. And so you have to say, what does love have to do with this? It's a, <laughs> Tina Turner, you got it. But whereas the song says love is a secondhand emotion, there's my kind of a joke, you're going to see that love is a first-rate action. So there. Why would Paul put all of these military concepts here? The answer to me deals with the fact that this is a church, Corinth, that is getting pushed back. Whenever the church becomes a light, the world doesn't sit passively by. It's incredibly ignorant for us to think that the world is morally neutral. We are the people who understand that the world is not morally neutral. I read editorials in the newspaper today from the secular perspective, and they present the world as if it's this morally neutral um, position. It's not. And remember, we get so you know, far away from when we did our background study, and we're not living in Corinth. But remember, Corinth was one of the most wicked places in the entire world. Anybody remember the Greek term, Corinthianized? I'm kind of messing it up, but there's a word that in that day and age in which Paul wrote, to act wickedly meant to act like a Corinthian. And so think about that. Think about a world in which there are no churches anywhere as Paul is planning them. And people are, you know, in Rome and they're in, they're in Athens and they're in, they're in Philippi. And they're looking around the world and they're saying, boy, people who are really, really over the edge are those people in Corinth. And they start to call um, people who whenever they really start to act vile in their immorality like the Corinthians. They're Corinthianizing. And that is this community in which Paul is writing. He's writing this church that is, I believe, on the front lines, facing a lot of immorality. And as Paul has been writing this letter of correction, he's aware that evil is pushing back. I think he wants us to have that military mindset. That's why I read that passage of 2 Timothy for you. There's a sense where Christians may not like, they may not like to think of themselves in a military aspect, and we definitely live in a world that sometimes 
pushes back against military, pushes back against police. But there's a reason we need military. There's a reason we need police. is because the heart of man is desperately wicked, and man is not morally neutral. And so this past week, as we've been watching in horror, and Carl's brought up the prayer, we see that the Afghan army wasn't ready. And because it wasn't ready, the country is being devastated. And what a great metaphor, picture for lives, your lives. If you're not spiritually prepared for battle, you will be overrun. You will be destroyed. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what age you are. Satan takes no prisoners. He prowls around like a roaring lion. He wants to destroy your life. And, you know, you, you think that you're safe and you're not. You can't, you can't say, well, I'm not going to go on the front lines. I'm going to sit in the back. You get in the back, God, you know, you're susceptible. This is a world in which Satan wants to take over and wipe out everyone. And when Jesus said, unless those days of end times have been cut short, everyone would have died, well, who's the one who wants to kill everybody? Satan wants to kill everybody. Listen, last week I spent time with somebody in the military, and they shared with me how somebody wasn't alert for five seconds, and it's potentially costing them their military career. I want you to understand. You say, five seconds? Five seconds? You know, I'm not alert? Yeah, you're not alert. It could cost you. It could cost you your life. So let's get into these commands. I want us to relate to them. I want us to put these into practice, into our life, and I believe we'll grow and we'll all be stronger. Now, I wrote this down. I want to make something very clear as we're studying these. I found that I could do a message on each one of these for an entire week, but I thought, no, collectively, they are a whole that deal with readiness. So I want to work on all of, uh, uh, all of them at the same time. And so therefore, when I was doing my preparation, I found Bible teacher and commentary. They, some of them took, you know, long, ex um, extensive studies on each one of these words. And if I brought all of that material in, like I said, we could be doing five weeks on that. So I'm not going to do that. So what I'm going to try and do is try to give you a definition. I'm going to try to give you an understanding give me some illustrations, and then quickly move on. So hopefully you'll find the, that by studying this all in one sitting, it will keep the mindset of readiness before you. Um, also, I want to point out, each one of these are present tense commands. Present tense means that these are an ongoing habit that you should be having. All right, so let's get into these. Real simple, and all five of these have an imperative. That's how we know it's a command. Interestingly, in Greek, we can tell when God wants us to have a command. So the very first one, real simple, be on the alert. So here, be awake spiritually. Be awake! Brian wanted me to have like a boom, you know, something here. But uh, be on the alert. The Greek word for Gregory, um, the Greek word here sounds like the name in English, Gregory. So little conversation starter. If you ever come across somebody named Greg, Gregory, you can say, do you know your name comes from the Greek word that means to be alert, to be spiritually, to be awake. Um, it's used about 22 times in the New Testament. And where I said commentators, they went to town on this. They took many of the passages that are in the New Testament where this word is used. And I'm just going to give you a few of them. 
So listen, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Colossians 4.2, devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. So be aware spiritually of Satan's attitude, his actions. Be alert in prayer. What's going on? How you should not fall asleep in prayer and how you should be aggressively thinking how to more effectively pray. Matthew 25, be on the alert regarding the return of Jesus Christ, for you don't know the day or the hour. And so there are many ways in which we're called to be alert. And I struggled with what specifically are we in verse 13 here to be on alert for? And what I came to the conclusion is, is because he's not specific, it's, it's broad. It pertains to everything. It's, it's just you're to be alert. And, and so... I want you to be aware that perhaps this is all-encompassing of the entire book and all the matters he's, work, he's dealing with, but also the very fact that we have a spiritual reality that we have to be on the alert. Now listen, if I were to ask you to come guard my house, I'm not going to use a camera, I'm not going to use a security I'm not going to use uh, a security camera. I'm not going to use an alarm. I'm not even going to have my wonderful Bashan dogs be there to watch out. I'm going to trust in you. What would you be looking for if you're going to guard a house? What are you going to guard? You're going to look. You're going you're to be looking to see if um, anybody is, uh, is coming to the house, going to the house, what's happening inside the house. I surely would hope you wouldn't fall asleep. I surely hope that you would always be investigating anything that would happen. And here's the struggle, right? Because I watch war movies. I watch espionage movies. You know what happens is that always somehow the guard gets distracted or the guard falls asleep or the guard isn't paying attention. You know, the guard's watching like... 10 camera um, pictures there, and all of a sudden he, he, he looks away right when the, you know, p- burglar is coming. And, and so the burglar gets in. What's the hard thing about being a guard? It's just that nothing happens a lot. Right? You know, you, you, you get numb. It's like, uh, nothing's happening today. Nothing seemed to happen. Nothing really changed dramatically. There wasn't somebody rushing my front door with, you know, a whole bunch of knives or something like that. Being alert is hard work. It takes an investigative attitude. And here the Corinthians were in this culture where, you know, sin is all around them. And they've got to be thinking, wait a second. You know, there's nothing out of the ordinary. Because this is all we see. And today... How much of a Corinthian culture do we live in? You know, the Corinthians lived in an area in which there was so much perversity. There was, there was sexual perversity. There was all kinds of wickedness happening in their temples. They had religious um, perversion. Listen, in our day and age, we live in a culture so much like Corinth 
I mean, you've got to understand, you drive down the freeway and you see billboards for all kinds of immoral activities you could participate in. We have casinos all around us. We've got availability with the internet to bring things into our home now that you would never, ever we go out in public and try to engage in, but now you have the privacy of your own home to do these things that are wicked. Listen, we need to be awake spiritually. And, and I would encourage all of you, read through the book of, of 1 Corinthians. Look at some of the issues that the Apostle Paul was constantly bringing up. He was talking about how people were challenging the elders and the pastors. They were dealing with how the gospel works, how people were serving. They were challenging people's motives. They were, they were dealing with sexual immorality. They were dealing with lawsuits. They were dealing with people who... Um, who were abusing Christian liberty. They were be- dealing with spiritual gifts and using them with a wrong attitude. And then think about this one. Doctrinally, they were wrong on the resurrection. And you say, well, okay, so maybe they don't have a few of the details right on the resurrection. Well, we saw at the 15th chapter how there were people that were partying and living for the world all because they didn't have the resurrection right. You've got to understand doctrine matters. And so as the world creeps in, the world attacks. And I want you to be aware that if you think nothing's ha- happening, you've, got, you've already gotten um, pulled uh, a little bit of the wool over your eyes. And so here is a little exercise that I'm challenging you with. If you were a guard on duty and you were watching over your life, our church, How would Satan attack? Challenge yourself. Write it down and think about it. And then start putting it to prayer and then taking the actions that you need to do to guard yourself. You need to be alert. Paul didn't just throw this in for filler words. He wants you to be spiritually alert. Second, here we go. Be spiritually stable. Stand firm in the faith. The idea of stand firm comes from a Greek expression that is used often within Scripture, the stand. Uh, but the idea here is, is a command, and the idea of standing firm is very much a military expression. It is that when the enemy's coming, you don't run. And I want you to listen to a couple verses where this was used. Galatians 5.1, when the Apostle Paul is writing a church a group of churches that are facing doctrinal error, thinking that, that legalism or works could be brought back into the church. And he says in Galatians 5.1, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Well, why in the world would people have to stand firm on that? Well, because people are going to come into the church and they're going to try and bring doctrinal change that sounds good hey it sounds good that we get everybody circumcised and we get everyone circumcised and everyone's in everyone's going to heaven if they're all circumcised right no let's get everybody baptized let's baptize all these infants let's get them in let's get them in let's get them in and so the idea is it was for freedom that christ set us free therefore keep standing firm how about this one from Philippians? The church is dealing with disunity, and Paul is trying to bring unity in the church, and he says, therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, this is in Philippians 4.1, my joy and my crown, in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. And it's all in the context that there's false teachers that are going to come in, and they're going to bring division to the church. 
And he says, stand firm in the Lord. And so look at that little expression in verse um, 13 where it says, in the faith. In is the realm. It's a prepositional phrase. The is specific. Faith isn't what we, is, is not the way we believe, but the doctrines that we believe. And, and so he's saying, hold your ground. Be stable. Um, you're to be somebody that under the pressure of the world doesn't give in. You're to stand firm. You know what you believe and stay stable. Be mature in this. And so here, the world is constantly going to push back. The world's going to say, hey, the Bible, it's anti-science. How dare you believe the Bible? The Bible is anti-women. How dare you believe the Bible? The Bible is a book filled with errors. How dare you believe the Bible is outdated. The Bible's written by men. The Bible is just one of many religious books. How dare you be so bigoted and narrow? And boy, the Bible, you follow it, you can't have fun. You want to have fun, you come and you do life our way. All of that is where you have to realize you need to say, wait a second, those are lies. Those are attacks against my faith. I'm not going to change. I'm going to stand firm. And you're going to hold your ground. And, and a couple years ago, I told you I read uh, Stephen Crane's book, The Red Badge of Courage. It was a book written on the Civil War about a little boy, about, and I say little, 16, 17-year-old boy, who goes off into the war, uh, the Civil War, thinking that he's going to be a hero. And he finds himself in the first battle. I'm not going to ruin the book for everyone, but he ends up running. He ends up running because, let me tell you, when you're in battle, I'm not disparaging the young boy. It's terrifying. And, 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 and let us be aware that when we're facing spiritual battles, it isn't something like where Satan just pops out and he's in some, like, you know, goofy horn costume. It is something where you're feeling the pressure of family, of business, friends, neighborhood, all, you know, society is coming down upon you thinking you're taking these positions. You are the one that's wrong. You've got to give in. And, and so the apostle Paul is saying, stand firm, hold your ground. And so I believe we have a church of many faithful people. And I just want to encourage you, you've stood your ground. We have a history of people who have stood their ground. And I just say, keep on doing it. Um, and so here's a little test. You know, look at things that would cause you to run from the faith. What are, what are things that would challenge you, put pressure on you? Would it be a tragedy in your family? Would it be someone that is giving you a doctrinal challenge? Would it be some type of, of um, way maybe even this church has let you down? And you think, well, man, I'm walking away. I'm, I'm, I'm not putting up with this. I'm walking away. God says, stand your ground, because your faith is in God. Your faith is in Jesus Christ, and, and we don't know everything he's going to allow in our lives, all the tragedies, all the difficulties, you know, but as you see things perhaps around you crumbling, you've got to say, I'm serving God, and I'm faithful to who he is over and a part of what I'm feeling, what I'm seeing. Stand firm. Stand firm. The next one is interesting. It is, be faithful like an adult, despite overwhelming odds against you. You like that? It's a long, <laughs> long description when <laughs> it comes from one Greek word, act like men. Um, there's one Greek word, 
Adrozomai, Andre meaning men. It's a word that's used uh, only one time in the entire New Testament. And it, it means act like men. And we don't have any other usages in the New Testament. But when the Greeks translated the Old Testament into the New Testament, we called it the Greek Septuagint, this word was used 22 times. And a word, the word that it was often used for was the word courageous. Like, you know, in Joshua, be strong and courageous. It would be be strong and act like men. And so there's a thought here, as Warren Wiersbe says, that it literally means quit you like men, which means act like men, not ch by children. There are two concepts that are running through this one Greek expression. And that is, it deals with a sense of maturity. And so in a sense of maturity, um, it helps us to understand that, that it's look, asking for people to act like an adult. And I think that's important. I, I recognize in this day and age where we're dealing with gender equality and, and sometimes people also don't want to have different genders, that there are males and there are females. I get that. But this is a word that will have application for the women as well to act mature, to act like an adult. And when we talk about acting like an adult is that an adult has a real good balance to the way they approach life. And they don't deal with the highs and lows. They don't deal with the tantrums that a child goes through. Um, we'll watch a child have a tantrum in a store, and you don't see adults typically having tantrums in the store. And why? It's because the child doesn't have the ability to act like an adult. They, don't, they haven't matured. They haven't come to that place in their life where they're able to handle the emotions of the ups and downs. And so adults you know, will have an ability to think things through, to handle things in a, in a way that a child doesn't. You give a child a job, hey, clean up the kitchen, and give the kid a broom, and the child sweeps for 30 seconds and comes back and says, I'm done. 30 seconds. Did you get in the corners? No. Go back and finish the job. You got to finish the job. Why? Because well, an adult needs to, has to tell the child there's more effort that needs to be put into it. And, and so as a young person grows up, they realize how to be diligent, how to be somebody that completes something, how to be more thorough. So all of that comes in the idea here of, of be faithful like an adult. But the idea of courageous also brings in the second aspect of being able to stand your ground in face of, of odds that are against you. And when we apply this, Perhaps like you're teaching a Bible study and people are coming against you. you. You hold your ground or you're going through a tough time and people aren't showing up for the Bible study. You don't just quit. You keep on going. You're faithful. All right. You try and love a neighbor and then they hate you. But you don't say, well, then I'll move it out of the neighborhood. You, 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 you deal with a family member that's hard against you, going against you. And all of a sudden they turn against you. You don't say, well, that's it. I'm done with Christianity or I'm done with the family. Listen. Be faithful like an adult despite overwhelming odds. And I put that up there, overwhelming odds, because I want to show you one example that I believe is telling, very telling about when God says, I want you to be courageous, he recognizes sometimes you're going to face things that are very hard, but he's not asking, he's telling you, I expect you to stand your ground, stand firm, and, and couple this with acting as an adult, that you're courageous. So turn back in your Bibles to Psalm 78. 
There's a psalm that I, I don't know if you're regularly reading. It's not like the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. It's not like, you know, Psalm 119, all on the word. Psalm 78 is probably a psalm that many of you haven't read in a while. And I'm, it's a lengthy psalm, but I'm not going to read the whole thing. I was reading it myself this week, and it really hit me. And, and so it's all, it's a psalm of Asaph. And it's a psalm where God is challenging the people because they weren't courageous. And I think this is a little shocking. So I'm going to pick up in verse 1, Psalm 78, and it says, Listen, O my people. Listen, O my people. And, and when he says listen, that word for listen, just as a note, means Shema. And so when Carl was saying, hey, the great Shema, it's because in, in De- De- Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's hear, O Israel. The word hear is Shema. Hear, O Israel. And so you'll see this throughout the Old Testament. Listen, hear, okay? Listen, my people, to my instruction, verse 1. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Now, God wants you to listen. Pay attention. I will open my mouth in a parable. And this is also part of where, you know, we think of how Jesus began using parables. This is kind of an interesting tie-in. I didn't get These are all bonus points here. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from our children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works, which he has done. For he has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet born. What he's trying to get is, I want everyone family after family after family to follow this. These are God's rules, God's instructions. Please follow these. And the idea is you're going to see is no matter what you face. So go to verse, the rest of verse 6. Let me go turn to my page here. And he says that they may arise and tell them to their children that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. You see, when, when it's being faithful and act like an adult, is God wants us to be committed to his word, committed to his ways, no matter what temptations, whatever pressures, whatever is coming against us. And we want this to continue on generation after generation after generation. And we got to remember God is great and God is powerful. And, and no matter what we face. Now, what illustration would you come with after you lay this upon the people. Look at what he gives. Verse 9. The sons of Ephraim were archers equipped with bows, yet they turned back in the battle, in the day of battle. They did not keep the covenant of God. They refused to walk in his law. They forgot his deeds and his miracles that he had shown them. He wrought wonders before their fathers in the land of Egypt in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea, and he goes on through all these miracles. And you say, wait, 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 wait. You're coming down on a bunch of people who are in the middle of a war? In the middle of a war. I'm telling you, red badge of courage, right? In the middle of a war. You're you're terrified. And, and, And yet, for the Old Testament economy, when Israel was to go into battle... They would go to battle trusting that God would protect them. But these archers, whoever they are in church history or Israel's history, we don't know exactly which battle this is. But they knew, and it was put into the psalm, that these people got scared. They didn't act like men. They weren't courageous. And so here, 
you say, well, shouldn't this just be an exhortation about how to go to war? No, this is an exhortation about when the world says, listen, act like us. Don't hold to your narrow, bigoted Christianity that you say, wait a second, I am going to remember God wants me to follow and honor his word, his commands, his ways over what the world is, is coming at me with. So I find this fascinating. This is one that has always sticks with me when I read through the Psalms. I read through all the Psalms every four or five months. And when I come to the 70th one, it always hits me. These men of Ephraim who were being chided because they, they got weak in the middle of a war, who would have all the validity for an excuse why they weren't going to stand up. Oh, you know, I went through this issue with my family. Oh, you know, here's another reason why I'm giving in. in. I'm not really going to stand my ground. All my friends are doing it. Whatever. Listen, God says, I want you to obey, and I want you to honor me no matter what you're facing. Act like men. Act like men. And, and the idea of being strong, be courageous, be like an adult. All right? So turn back, and as you're turning back to 1 Corinthians, here's an exercise. Where in Christianity have you felt like saying enough's enough? I'm walking away. I'm walking away from this ministry. I'm walking away from this church. I'm walking away from these people. I'm walking away from this faith. God says, listen, be mature. Be strong. Don't let discouraging odds get you down. Now, this next one, fill in the blank with the word strong. I thought you could use the word power or capability, but I just used the very word that's in the text. Be strong in the Lord by doing what he instructs. He says, be strong, <laughs> right? At the end of verse 13, just be strong. And it's used only four times in the Bible, this form of that word. And it's a key concept of strength, ability, but here's the twist with of all these commands and all these instructions, this is the only one that's in the passive. Now, what does that mean? It's like someone is enabling you to have this action, and that's the passive. And, and, and so the enablement is that you're being given the ability to be strong. And this is used in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 17, when the Apostle Paul gives this great prayer. And he goes, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened, there's our word, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So it speaks of God being the agent that gives you strength, and by strength I mean power. And this is so important because people... I recognize, and I talk to people all the time who want to grow spiritually and want to be faithful, you know, be this super Christian, and they're looking for a feeling. They're looking for a zap of energy. It isn't some feeling. It isn't some zap of energy. It's just a function, I believe, of you being able to know what you're supposed to do, and if you're truly a born-again believer, God brings to mind the command, and then you act on it. So suppose you came to church today and you didn't feel like worshiping God. Ephesians chapter 5 talks about being filled with the Spirit. And when you're filled with the Spirit, you sing and make melody. So you just say, I'm going to sing and I'm going to do it even if I don't feel like singing. And the next thing you know, as you're doing it, you become someone that is worshiping God and the action enables you to have strength. And so that is how... 
being strong in the Lord with it being passive takes over. So you, you look at this, and so it says, husbands love your wives. So husbands love your wives. You may not feel like loving your wife, but then you act on it. And then next thing you know, because you've acted on it, you've got a strong marriage. Wives, it says, respect your husbands. You may not feel like respecting your husband, but then you act on it. And before you know it, you've got a strong marriage. You, you have a friend that the Bible talks about maybe open rebuke is better than hidden love. So you don't feel like rebuking your friend, but you do. And before you know it, because you have done what you're supposed to do, even though you don't feel like it, you've got a strong friendship. See, people don't understand. They think that they're going to get a feeling or going to get some type of zap of energy and that Christianity is all of a sudden going to give them some type of mystical feeling and they're looking around trying to find something deep when in actuality it's just right before you you know it's really interesting with be strong what do you mean be strong well do what God says to do and therein lies the strength so all of a sudden day after day after day I go to work and I don't lie and then guess what I've got myself as a very strong employee. Why? Because I haven't been stealing from my employer. So, you know, the idea of doing what God wants, being filled with his word as the spirit enables us, allows us to be strong. And so I really find that this is so critical. Um, This is like where, you know, the sergeant tells you what to do. You do it, and next thing you know, you you, you are someone that is finding yourself having ability in the battle. Now, all of these are military terms, right? And here's the reality is at times you might feel alone, times you might feel discouraged, you might think to yourself, look, here's these commands, here's the first four, they're military expressions, but I want to remind you that we've been given instructions from a commander. God is our commander. Jesus is our leader. He hasn't left us to go into a battlefield not having a good plan. This is the plan. Be alert. Be somebody that's stable. Be somebody that doesn't move your ground. Be somebody that's acting like an adult despite the overwhelming odds. And be somebody that has strength, has ability, because you're doing what I've told you to do. And with all of that, it's not that he's just left us. We know that he's given us his spirit. He cares for us. God's watching. We've got to believe he's sovereign. And then he gives this last instruction. And the last instruction deals with agape love. Interestingly enough, it isn't saying love. What is the command here? Look at verse 14. Let all that you do be done in love. Can you find the command? The command is the word be. Uh, It's a present tense from the just a common Greek word, state of being. And it's be. This is what you're to be. This is the overarching characteristic. So having it be a, uh, a verb here in a, a um, way that just describes your overarching character, that you're known for your love. And so verse 14, let all, everything that you do, you can't compartmentalize your life in any way, Let it all be done in love. So you can't say, I'm going to go to work and be one way. I'm going to go to school and be a different way. I'm going to go into my neighborhood and be a different way. I'm not going to be, you know, I'm going to come to church and I'm going to be, I'm going to put on the game face. I'm going to act like I'm godly when in actuality, I can't wait to go home and, and, and do my evil. 
The reality of it is, is it cuts us everything that you do. All be done in love. And the idea of love here, it comes from the Greek word of sacrifice, of doing the best for somebody. That, remember, we did an extensive study on 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to, 4, 4 to 7. Just quickly turn there, all right? 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7, where the Apostle Paul gives those four, 15 verbal adjectives all verbal adjectives that I beg you to memorize. I beg you to wake up in the morning and ask yourself this. Dear God, as I go into the day, can I be patient? Patient in the way I think, the way I speak, the way I act, and my omissions, sins of omissions. I don't want to be hesitant on doing the things I'm supposed to do. I want to, I, I, and where I need to be patient and maybe not spout off against someone, allow me to be patient. Love is patient, love is kind, not jealous, doesn't brag is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it doesn't seek its own, is not provoked, doesn't take into account a wrong suffer, doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Let everything you do run through this grid, the way you think, the way you speak, the way you act, and your areas of omission so that you eliminate them. And it's just a simple command. And so when you do that, you will be ready. So let me just read this conclusion. I really believe if you go through these five commands daily, it will stretch you. You will grow. More importantly, it will protect you. Again, we do not live in a morally neutral world. Like Corinth, we live in a world that has evil coming against the Christian, the church, the family, the individual. Like the Afghan army, it wasn't ready. If you're not militarily prepared spiritually, you will be overrun, and it'll be your life destroyed. My hope is that you are more alert every day, that you are stable, holding your ground every day, that you're acting more and more like an adult every day, including courage, that you are strong because you're doing what God says to do every day. And I can tell you that everything you need to do needs to be done in a sacrificial way. I can tell you Example after example, and I don't can embarrass people, but I, what I see is that people come to a point in their life where they say, I've had enough of this narrow Christianity. I've had enough of, of, of denying myself. I've had enough of not having my way. I'm walking out of this relationship, of this church, or this whatever. And I see, and it is a guarantee that you end up walking away from Christianity. You will be destroyed. And this is, this is a battle Satan doesn't come with his battle, though, and present it. Hey, come here and get your life destroyed. It's let me come, let you come to this world, this, this attractive thing. You give up Christianity for what you think is a trinket that is going to give you the relief and the lack of, of pressure that you're feeling. Because listen, when you're always awake spiritually, it takes effort. And when you are somebody that is holding your ground, it takes effort and there's pressure. It's like working out and you're pushing the weights and it's easy to just give up and not push the weights. But the person that's holding the ground and pushing the weights are the people that are putting forth effort and it would be a lot easier to give up. But I'm telling you, it's a lie to give up. Be spiritually stable. Be like an adult. Be strong. Look, sometimes you can feel like you're all alone in this world. I get it. And, and you might feel like you're the only one sacrificing. Everyone else has got, got it nice in the world. And I, I, I can't tell you who. I talked to a very prominent individual who was counseling me about, I was counseling them about their marriage. And, and people would be absolutely shocked if I 
would give the name of who this individual is about how their marriage, this isn't someone in our church, that, they're, that they're, they're, they struggle. And one of the things they told me is that they struggle because they watch on Facebook and it's like every marriage seems to be perfect. And everyone would thought this individual has a perfect marriage. But the reality of it is, is everybody is under pressure. Everybody is under attack. And I want you to recognize if you feel like you're all alone, you're not. You know, it's like when Elijah thought he was the only one and God has to tell him there's like 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. God has his people and other, other people are having struggles and difficulties too. And this is why we need to pray for one another. There's 41 one another's in the scripture. We need to be faithful for one another. So as we come to this letter, 1 Corinthians 16, turn, if you haven't turned there, let me just read these. And I ask you, why did Paul put these here? Is it just a summary of the entire book? Is it just something, this is the mindset he wants everyone to have and he, he wants to just throw these commands out there? I can't tell you other than he, he gives them. He says this, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. I believe that if you follow this and you're ready, you'll be able to handle what happens today and this week, and then you start again next week. Be faithful, because this is an ongoing battle. I think there's a reason he gave ongoing present tense commands, because it's an ongoing battle. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for th these instructions. I am hoping that there's a decision today that everyone's going to follow these. Pre please, God, help us to be ready for the battle. In Jesus' name, amen.